0: Well, um, during our spring break trip uh, that we had with RUF, on, on the way back up uh, from West Virginia, we had the opportunity to spend the day uh, and the night uh, in Luray, Virginia. Um, and while we were there, we got to go to this place called uh, Ray Caverns. When you get to Luray Caverns, it, it doesn't look like much. Uh, it's very humble on the outside. It's sort of like a grassy knoll and uh, a parking lot and some kind of cheesy uh, museums on the side. But this humble veneer masks something that is truly outstanding. Just beneath the surface of that parking lot and that grassy knoll and those cheesy museums uh, is 64 acres of limestone caverns. Stalactites uh, and stalagmites 35 feet long, columns uh, that are 60 feet high, six stories high, and, and 30 feet wide. Um, ancient waterfalls that have been solidified, as it were, in stone. I mean, it's awesome. There's a picture of Grace. I wish I could throw up there. I didn't want to embarrass her, but her 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 jaw is dropped. Even Grace was astounded. It's amazing. Here's the thing. The glory uh, and the grandeur of those caverns did not happen overnight. It was not some cataclysmic event like an earthquake uh, that created them. It didn't happen in in an instance. The awesomeness uh, of Luray Caverns is owed to small, repeated actions uh, over a long period of time. A drip, and a drip, and a drip. Right. It is that slow, repeated actions over a long time that created it. It takes one hundred. We learned this on the tour. It takes one hundred and fifty years um, for a stalactite to grow one cubit inch. One hundred and fifty years for one inch, and listen, these things are thirty-five feet high, sixty feet high. The columns—it's inst- it's astounding. It's estimated that some of these columns in Lorraine caverns took seven million years to create. Again, the result of small, seemingly in- insignificant, right, repeated actions uh, over a long period of time. I bring this up tonight because I believe that character formation is formed uh, very much the same way. When we meet Daniel um, in chapter 6, we meet a man who has been resolved uh, to the Lord for a very long time. Daniel has never been flashy, but he has always been faithful. Small acts of obedience and faith, often unseen often overlooked, done uh, over a long period of time, right? Drip, drip, drip. And when we meet Daniel in chapter 6, we meet a man who is roughly 70 or 80 80 years old. Uh, And in his old age, Daniel is a man of formidable character. He is a pillar, right, in his community. I want to focus on three aspects um, or dimensions of his character. Uh, There's quite a bit of overlap uh, in these three points. And I think as you see, you might think of it as um, that we are looking at one diamond with three angles on it. Uh, But those three angles or those three dimensions of his character are these. I want to talk about his excellence. I want to talk about his authenticity. uh, And I want to talk about his faithfulness. So those are sort of the three things that I want to focus in uh, on tonight. Daniel's excellence, his authenticity, uh, and his faithfulness. If you look, uh, you will see, right, chapter 6 begins, It pleased Darius, um, who is the replacement of Nebuchadnezzar, right, he's long gone. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, uh, etc., etc., Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, uh, because an excellent spirit was in him. Okay, This Hebrew word uh, that gets translated excellent uh, in verse 3 is a very interesting word. Uh, word, That Hebrew word uh, only appears eight times in the Bible, uh, and every instance is found in the book of Daniel. As to say, this word is found only in this book, right, eight times. It's a hard word to translate. Uh, some translations render it excellent. He had an excellent uh, spirit. Uh, others uh, translate this word as exceptional. He, he was an exceptional man. Uh, Eugene Peterson, whose famous uh, translation of the Bible is called The Message, uh, puts it this way. Uh, Daniel is in a class of his own. He is outstanding. He's excellent. Excellence uh, is an interesting thing. If I asked you, uh, do you want to be excellent? Most people would say, sure, I would like to be excellent. Yes. And yet, even though excellence is something that we all aspire to, it's something that we might all desire or want, it seems that very few have it. If I were to ask you to name someone who is excellent, uh, who comes to mind? When you think of excellence, who comes to mind? Perhaps your mind goes to uh, the all-star athlete or uh, the incredible artists, the award-winning actors and actresses. You might think of an outstanding business person or business uh, a businessman or woman, maybe an outstanding or excellent teacher that you had, or perhaps um, some outstanding, excellent moral figures and leaders. People like Abraham Lincoln or Mother Teresa, um, MLK. Now that you have perhaps um, some faces or names in mind. I want you to consider this. While it is true that some of these men uh, and women were born with extraordinary gifts, that in itself is no guarantee uh, of success or excellence. Michael Phelps, for example, uh, was born with a wingspan of six feet seven inches. Mine's not nearly that long. I don't know if you've ever seen him like do that at the Olympics. I mean, it's just like he's like... Almost connecting his hand, you know it's weird. But he's got this incredible wingspan. But that in itself doesn't make him. Uh, that's not a guarantee of, of his success. It's not like Michael Phelps just fell into a pool one day and was like, "Well, I guess I'm going to win 23 gold medals." It didn't happen that way. He didn't stumble into that kind of success. Michael Phelps is who he is because of constant uh, and relentless practice. The wingspan helps, but he is this the all-time gold medalist because of constant, relentless practice. Lorraine Caverns is awesome because of small repeated actions, right? A drip, drip, drip of water on limestone. And Phelps is awesome because he quite literally drip, drip, dripped water after practice. That's clever, huh? Yeah, that's good. Uh, six days a week uh, and six hours a day. Swim practice is not the Olympics. It's a humble thing. It's a very few people watch you swim laps uh, as you practice in your private pool. Right? It is small. It is unseen. But small and seemingly insignificant, unseen actions done and stretched over the long haul add up to something that's really powerful, something that's really significant. When real trials come, as it did for Phelps at the Olympics, the man was ready for it. He was conditioned, and he knew what he, could, he, knew what he was capable of, and he did it. He excelled. And the same could be said of Daniel. When the real trial came, you know, when his faith was really put to the test, he was ready. Not because he was born that way, but because of small, repeated acts of faithfulness over the course of his life. In his book, Outliers, uh, Malcolm Gladwell claims that Mozart and the Beatles are not so much innate musical prodigies, but guys who thrived only after 10,000 hours of practice. Uh, As one rapper uh, put it, the greats weren't great because at birth they could paint. The greats were great because they painted a lot. You were not born excellent and you don't become excellent overnight. This presents a challenge uh, to people like you and me um, who want excellence, but who are so used to to instant gratification. Um, In a widely viewed, uh, a widely shared YouTube video, Simon Sinek speaks to this issue uh, of instant gratification. Everything you want, you can have instantaneously, he says. Everything you want, instant gratification, except job satisfaction and strength of relationships. There ain't no app for that. What I want to do is actually, I want to break for two minutes, and I want to throw up that video for you, and I just want to show you two... He's gonna. It would be a long quote from me, but it's fun watching him say it. I'm gonna do just two minutes of what he has to say about instant gratification. And so think about it in terms of excellence,
1: okay? Everything you, want. Everything you want. Instant gratification, except job satisfaction and strength of relationships. There ain't no app for that. They are slow meandering, uncomfortable, messy processes. And so I keep meeting these wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids that just graduated school. They're in their entry-level job, I sit down with them and I go, how's it going? they go, I think I'm going to quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. (laughs) It's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain, and they have this abstract concept called impact they want to have in the world which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. And so what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That some things that really, really matter, like love, or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it. But the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain. Or you will, the worst case scenario, the worst case scenario, and we're already seeing it, the worst case scenario is we're seeing an increase in suicide rates. We're seeing an increase in this generation. We're seeing an increase in accidental deaths due to drug overdoses. We're seeing more and more kids drop out of school or take leaves of absence due to depression. Unheard of. Israel, well, this is this is really bad. The best case scenario, the best, those are all bad cases, right? The best case scenario is you'll have an entire population growing up and going through life and just never really finding joy. They'll never really find deep deep fulfillment in work or in life. They'll just just waft through life and it'll be just it's fine. How, how, how's your job? It's fine. The same as yesterday. How's your relationship? It's fine. Like, that's that's the best-case scenario, which leads me to the, the fourth point, Richard. which you can listen to later. Um,
0: <clears throat> you know, I don't want you to go through life that way. Um, it's fine. I want you to experience what I do want. I desire for you to be excellent uh, as much as God does. Um, but this, as he says, right... It takes time, it takes patience, it takes practice. It takes small, humble, seemingly insignificant, often unseen, repeated actions over a long period of time. This is character trait number one, right? Daniel's excellence. Overlapping with that trait uh, is trait number two, which I want to. I'm calling Daniel's uh, authenticity. Okay, his authenticity. Okay, it's related to this concept uh, uh, of excellence. In February uh, 2015 issue of Harvard Business Review, um, Hermina Ibarra, who's the writer of this essay or this article, she writes, Authenticity has become the gold standard for leadership. Uh, But what exactly is it, right? What exactly is authenticity? You might say, well, I know it when I see it, right? Uh, It is being real. It's not being fake. Authenticity means that you are the same person here as you are in that situation and uh, in that situation. Authenticity means consistency. And I think that really is the hallmark character uh, trait of it, right? Um, Consistency. Consistency. To be authentic is to be consistent. Uh, if you were to look in a thesaurus, um, you know, look authenticity up in a thesaurus, synonyms would include reliable and dependable, truthful, faithful, right? consistent. That's Daniel. All right, he is excellent in large part because he's authentic, uh, because he is consistent. Because he's faithful. In verse 10 um, of our passage tonight, we learn that it was Daniel's habit to pray three times a day. And this is something that he did and he had been doing for a very long time. Three times a day, facing the city of Jerusalem, which for him would be facing west, okay? Daniel would get down on his knees and he would talk to God. And this three times a day prayer was a daily reminder for him that his hope uh, was not lodged in himself. His hope was not in himself. It wasn't in his work. It wasn't in his government right, and its successes or its failures. But his hope was somewhere out there, locked up with God's promises for him uh, and for his people and for his place, symbolized, right, in that particular city. My hope is out there with God and his promises for my city, for my people. Prayer um, was a habit of heart that Daniel established long ago. It's something that he practiced. It was like a muscle that he exercised daily, and consequently it made him strong. Um, we saw something similar, didn't we, uh, in chapter 1, uh, where Daniel in college right, uh, was resolved uh, not to eat the king's food or drink his wine. There wasn't anything sinful um, about the king's food, uh, or the king's wine per se, but Daniel simply knew that if he began to imbibe it, if he began to go down that road, it would be hard for him to stop doing it. If he gave in to the temptation to live a selfish, luxury-loving lifestyle, his faith uh, in God would have been stunted. Uh, As Sinclair Ferguson put it, the good life that Daniel was offered was intended by the king to wean him away from the hard life to which God had called him. A life of faithfulness and of sacrifice and of service, of being different for goodness' sake. Everybody's going to that party. He's like, no, I'm not going to, because he knew what it, he knew where that road led. Daniel was excellent because he was authentic. Uh, he was excellent because he was consistent, like Michael Phelps swimming 50 miles a week, or like Stephen Curry, right, who takes. 250 shots a day and 100 100 shots before every game that he plays. The guy makes a lot of free throws and three-pointers, and that's why he's got the highest rating in the NBA. He practices. They have habits of heart. I want you to pause for a moment and, and to consider what yours are. What are your habits? Like, What are your habits of heart? Are you doing some small thing, but some small thing consistently in order to strengthen your relationship with family, with friends, and with God himself? As you think about small habits that you could do to strengthen relationships with family, friends, it could be something as simple as I'm not going to watch TV past a certain hour. Or I'm only going to watch so many hours of Netflix a day or a week. Right? It could be eating dinner together on a regular basis. Being part uh, of a weekly small group Bible study, as we think about how do you, what are some habits right, of heart that you establish that might strengthen. Your relationship with other people, but also with God, right? Joining a small group Bible study. Coming to large group. Not working one day a week. Putting your work aside for one day so that you can rest and enjoy the people around you and God's good creation. Daily reading of the Bible. Prayer. What habits do you have, if you have any? What are you practicing? You can think of this um, backwards, too, right? I want you to imagine yourself 30, 40 years from now. That puts most of you around 60, What do you want to be true of you then? Sort of the autumn of your life. Are you doing any of those things now? Are you practicing? For example, do you want it to be said of you uh, at the age of 60 that you are somebody who has really solid friendships? Friendships? Do you want that to be said of you? And if so, are you practicing that now here at the University of Vermont? Are you learning what it means to have good friends and to be a good friend? Because if you want it then, you need to start practicing now. Do you want to have the satisfaction that comes with good and meaningful work? Or do you want to cheat to get ahead? How are you approaching your studies here at the University of Vermont? Are you cutting corners? Because if you cut quarters now, you're probably going to cut quarters then, too. How are you spending your time in college? Are you constantly working now, or do you schedule in time for your friends and for time uh, outside? Do you want to be called a workaholic, or do would you like to be called Someone who has a good work-life balance. Well, guess what? You get to practice that now. I know a lot of you don't do this very well. Do you want drugs and alcohol to be a big part of your life at 60? If you don't want it then, why are you practicing that now? We could come up with a lot more examples, but you get the point, right? Daniel was resolved uh, to faithfulness to God, so he had in place certain practices and habits of heart that he did consistently to strengthen uh, his relationship. And I just want to say, what about you? Okay, What habits of heart are you developing here? What spiritual muscles are you working out here? Are your daily choices leading you in the direction that you want to go? are they helping you to become who you want to be? Ask yourself and honestly let, we can ask that in community because sometimes we have we're blind to it right and so it's good to ask your friends closest to you hey what do you seeing right. This text calls attention to daniel's Excellence. It calls attention to his authenticity. Uh, finally, it calls attention to his faithfulness. Okay, that's the third thing. Uh, as this text shows at the beginning and at the end, uh, Daniel put his faith in God. Right? There's reference to his faithfulness a couple of times here. Right? He trusted in him. Uh, he was committed to him. Committed to knowing God and making God known. And that is why when this law is passed in verses 6 through 9, Daniel refuses to obey. His refusal is not just because he's stuck in a rut and he doesn't know what to do besides that. That's not the reason, right? Daniel refuses to worship Darius because Daniel refuses to forsake his first love. Daniel has been committed to God for his entire life. He loves him. He has said yes to him over and over and over again. And to all of a sudden cease that communication. To say no to God and to say yes to Darius, as it were. It would be like a bride cheating on her husband. For him to just be like, I'm not talking to you anymore and I'm going to like worship here instead. Would be akin to a bride cheating on her husband. It would feel like a divorce. And Daniel won't do it. won't. And that decision cost him, right? Faithfulness normally does, right? Anytime you say yes to one thing, you are by implication saying no to a whole host of other things. You know, when I married Megan and and I stood before her and a whole bunch of our friends and family, right, witnesses, uh, I made a promise to her that I would never leave her, that I would love her till the end. I was saying yes to her forever, Which means I was saying no to every other woman, right, forever. That's hard, right? But that's the way it works, right? Faithfulness costs. Well, no doubt the decision um, in college uh, to be faithful to God cost him, cost Daniel, right? He removed himself from certain dinner parties, and on the basis of that decision, we can safely assume he wasn't invited to others, and if you decide to follow Jesus in this time and, and in this place, it will very likely cost you, too. You may be ridiculed. Right? You may, too, be excluded from certain social so- circles. You may or may not get that job. And in certain parts of the world, right, that decision may even get you killed. People around Daniel uh, were trying at first to assassinate his character, and when they couldn't do that, right? when they, there was, there's no skeletons in this guy's closet, they simply just tried to assassinate him. Right? And by all accounts, it seemed uh, that that plot would work. Daniel is thrown to the lions. He is given the death sentence. And as the stone is rolled over his tomb... The King declares, "May your God, whom you serve continually, whom you are faithful to, may He deliver you." And it's an interesting thing to say, because not only is the King in that moment calling attention to Daniel's faithfulness, he is also calling attention to God's. Daniel won't forsake God, but you know what? God's not forsaken Daniel either. In a broken and fallen world, we can suffer uh, and we do suffer. God's promise to us is not, if you follow me, you'll never suffer ever again. God's promise to us is, if you follow me, you will never be alone in your suffering. I will meet you in it, and I will bring you out intact on the other side of it. That's his promise to us. We know that this promise is true because God himself was willing uh, to suffer for sinful mankind uh, on a cross. Jesus, God with us, God in the flesh does not rescue us by shouting down instructions from heaven or by dropping down a ladder and saying, Climb on up. But rather, he saves us by entering in. By entering into a fiery furnace. By entering into a lion's den, By entering into this world right, of fire and tooth and claw like... By doing that to save his loved ones trapped inside. We're young, but you and I will face death as surely as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego faced it two weeks ago, and as surely as Daniel stared down his own death this week. But our confidence is in a God who can meet us there, who can meet us who can meet us in a fiery furnace, who can meet us in a lion's den, who can meet us in our graves, and who has the power to bring us out. We trust that not only is God capable of doing this, but that God actually wants to do this. And those are two different things, isn't it? To know that God is not only able to do this, but he wants to. And we have this confidence because of what we've seen the past couple of weeks and ultimately we have this confidence because of what we see and know about Jesus. Our faith is ultimately in his faithfulness to save. And that is saving faith. We've got one more week with Daniel. It's been good. man of excellence, authenticity, and a faithfulness, and who ultimately is saved because of God's faithfulness to him. That's his hope, and it's yours and mine as well. Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you um, that you have spoken words of promise uh, over us talk about promising things to megan at my wedding day but you have promised things to us too that you will love us and that you will never leave or forsake us that you are bound to us and i pray lord that as we live under those promises it would uh, inspire greater faithfulness towards you And i pray that for my friends here in this room and i pray for that for my friends who aren't here um tonight and I pray these things in Jesus' name Amen